Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blumson. The US government has been partially closed since December 22nd over the border funding issue, leading thousands of federal workers to stay home or work without pay and shuttering museums and national parks. Katie Martin discusses the reasons for the standoff with the FT's James Politi and Kadeem Shuba. So, James, what's happened to the idea that Mexico would pay for the border wall? Well, from the very beginning, almost I think from the first few weeks of Donald Trump's presidency in 2017, Mexico said that they would not pay for the wall. The problem is that President Trump has continued to insist that Mexico would eventually pay for the wall. And he even said recently that Mexico would end up paying for the wall indirectly through the new US-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, which is the revision of NAFTA that was agreed in October of last year. And of course, that's very improbable because there's no revenue-raising mechanism in the new NAFTA revision, and there's certainly no revenue-raising mechanism to fund a wall. So I think that it's a lot of bluster. He keeps insisting on it, but there's actually nothing in there that would mean Mexico is going to pay for the wall. It'll be paid for by the U.S. taxpayer if it gets built. Mm. So, Kadim, James mentions the word bluster there. I mean, why has this dispute surfaced now? Is it some sort of cynical move by Trump, if you can imagine such a thing, to distract the Democrats as they take control of Congress? Well, if you cast your mind back to the 2016 election, which was many eons ago, build the wall was the core message that Trump sent to his base. It was his key slogan. And so here we are two years into his first term, and you know there's no wall. And if you think in December, the Democrats and Trump were negotiating about, well, what's going to happen to the quarter of federal agencies that have not had their funding approved? Trump, in that very infamous Oval Office meeting with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, said, if I have to shut the government down to get you to pay for the wall, I'd be proud to do that. And effectively, what's happened here is his base has become outraged at the idea that he might come to some agreement that would not include funding for this oft-promised wall. So just before the shutdown, the Senate actually passed a bill that would have punted this issue till February. Trump seemed like he was about to sign it. And then as conservative commentators sort of threw up their arms in outrage, he backed down. And here we are. The question is, how is he going to deliver a deal to his supporters if it doesn't include a concrete wall. (laughs) So is the fact that the Democrats are about to take control of Congress, is that relevant here, or is it about fulfilling this election promise? Well, I mean, the distraction argument, you know, I'm not so sure about. Like many things in the Trump presidency, you can always throw that explanation on top, which is it's just designed to distract. But I think you have a core problem here where The Democrats are fiercely opposed to this idea of funding a wall. They see it as ineffective and as wasteful. And if nothing else, why do you give your opponent the chance to fulfill his key campaign pledge? But now they have control of the House, which means if Trump wants to get this done, he can't just count on his own party anymore. So I think there's a key tension here. Trump needs to deliver on this pledge. His base wants it. And he needs to get Democrats to agree to it, and Democrats don't want to. And you can see how, in that situation, something like a shutdown happens. James, how united are the parties on that front? Do you think there's any chance that Trump could carry the Democrats, or do you think they'll continue to stand united in their opposition against this wall? 
I think all signs are pointing to united opposition from the Democrats at this stage. I mean, I think they see the political winds at their backs. They've just gained control of the House. Nancy Pelosi is in her first few weeks as Speaker. And there are no signs of big splits among the Democrats that Trump can exploit. In fact, the House Democratic Caucus has shifted to the left with its new composition and new lawmakers, and they're even less likely to give Trump his wall. So I think that for the time being, there are no real signs of the Democrats budging. They say they're willing to fund other border security measures and talk about border security, but they are pretty steadfast in their opposition to a wall. Where you're seeing a possible split is among Republicans. In fact, Trump has already shown some signs of being flexible in some of the terminology around the wall. So the latest offer to the Democrats said that he would be prepared to build a steel barrier instead of a concrete wall. So he's shifting himself a little bit, and he's also throwing in a few other bones to the Democrats, like funding for humanitarian assistance and the revival of a special Obama-era asylum plan for Central American refugees. So if anyone seems to be blinking a little bit, it's on the White House side and among Republicans. But for now, I don't see the Democrats making any big concessions on this front. So build the wall might become something a bit more like build the fence, but are there any signs of compromise emerging, Kadim? I think James has identified where the language has begun to change. And you see from the White House, build the wall becoming almost more of like a metaphor. You know, you saw Mick Mulvaney on the Sunday shows. He's the acting chief of staff. He was basically saying, you know, a wall, but wall in the metaphorical sense, you know, some kind of barrier. And there are something like 650 miles of various forms of fencing currently along the U.S.-Mexico border. And effectively, the needle that the White House is trying to thread now is to say Trump needs a quote-unquote wall, but actually, you know, what we're asking for is more fencing. And that's, I think, where they're trying to apply pressure on the Democrats to say, we're actually asking for more of the same. Why don't you want to fund more of what we have already on the border? The question is, A, whether the messaging from the White House is consistent enough on that. So, you know, Trump tweeted a image of a steel slapped barrier with a picture of himself and it said, build the wall. So if he keeps referring to this steel slap barrier as a wall, then that might you know make it a bit trickier for Democrats to work with him. And then the other question, I think, is whether these other bits of funding that the White House is offering like funding for medical treatment for folks coming over the border, other humanitarian relief, whether that's enough to persuade Democrats to do some sort of deal. The other factor, of course, is the pressure on federal workers themselves Mm -hmm. is only getting worse. This week will be the first sort of paycheck that people are expecting. You've got something like 800,000 workers or so. And if they don't get their paycheck this week, that's a really big deal. And that applies pressure on Democrats and the White House Mm -hmm. to come to some sort of deal. Yeah, it really ups the ante, right? So, James, what happens next? How long can we continue with people not getting paid? Well, I mean, it's hard to tell. I think the assumption among the Democrats is that Trump will eventually cave and he will not want a protracted fight over this because ultimately Americans will blame him. On the other hand, you know, federal workers are a big source of support for Democrats. And if they start to revolt against, in a way, their own party then there could be some problems mounting for 
the Democrats as well. So I think at the moment it looks like the Democrats are in sort of the driver's seat, but the political ramifications are pretty hard to calculate on both sides. And from an economic point of view, so far the direct consequences of the shutdown are fairly limited, but they will start to grow as time goes on and multiply. So I think that's something else to watch out for. Yeah, for sure. I think you've both been personally affected by this shutdown. Cadden, what's your experience of it been? Well, uh, Katie, clearly we're in the (laughs) studio here in London, and I'm not meant to be in London. I'm meant to be in Washington. I'm just waiting for my visa to get cleared. And obviously the consulates and embassies are still operating for various complicated reasons. There's some sort of, I think, some sort of security check being done on my visa. And I believe whoever it is in the government whose desk that document is on is maybe furloughed or working without paying and have a big backlog of stuff to get through. So I am uh, patiently waiting <laughs> yeah, well, for the government to reopen so I can get my visa. In. Well, look, we're very happy to have you here. I'm very you know, happy you... to be here. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, James? So our five-year-old daughter, Clara, well, soon to be five-year-old daughter, Clara, was supposed to celebrate her birthday with her little friends at the National Zoo here in Washington, D.C. just yesterday. And it was a beautiful, gorgeous day, and it would have been perfect, except that the government shutdown has closed down the zoo. And so we've had to postpone it until the 19th of January. And I'm starting to worry that that's kind of an optimistic time frame for rescheduling. An outrage. Yes, absolutely. There are, of course, quite serious effects with questions about whether folks are still going to get their food stamp payments. You've seen already in the various national parks, frankly, chaos. I think something like four people have died during the shutdown when there are not the same sort of levels of staffing in the national parks to keep them safe. So, you know, it's been serious already and it only gets more serious. Our next door neighbor is furloughed. Various parents of our school kids are furloughed or working without pay. When we landed in Dulles Airport, we met an immigration officer who said that he was working without pay. It's quite widespread. When I was trying to get a comment from a Treasury Department spokesman the other day, he said that he could not answer and directed the inquiry to a higher-up official since only essential staff is allowed to work. So, you know, you, you can definitely feel the impact. It's creeping into all corners of government. Well, guys, thanks very much. That was Katie Martin talking to James Polisi in Washington and Kadeem Shiver in London. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.